Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, as usual, and not as usual, special guest, Jesse Sanchez, another international version of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. We kind of previewed the international signing period, the opening of it. Uh, on last week's podcast, the day arrived on Saturday. It was a very busy weekend for Jesse, and we are pleased to have him along with us today. A little bit later on, we are also going to talk to somebody else heavily involved in the international scouting world. That's Philly's Director of International Scouting, Sal Agostinelli. And we will wrap up with an extended, expanded version of the mailbag. We got several questions regarding the international signing period, and we will let Jesse take a shot at answering those. Jesse, thanks for being with us. I know you've been very busy over the past several days. Oh, this is always awesome to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, it was a big week for you with the international signing deadline, but uh, your wife, Yvonne, a reporter for the Arizona Public, as she so often does, went and showed you up. <laughs> by, win- by winning an Emmy during uh, just right. before Jesse Sanchez Day. Yes, uh, but I- I'm used to that. She is by far the most talented, smartest, kindest, gentlest. Uh, the only th- award I consistently win is the uh, kicked pasture coverage award for husbands and wives. So that's my uh, that's my title. I'm really happy to have it. We'll uh, we'll clip this out for you, Jesse, so you can play for her. Yeah, awesome. Good, good. I'm gonna make that our. Uh, Valentine's and Christmas greeting. <laughs> yeah, we've we've started referring to the this day uh, in the office as Jesse Sanchez Day. Uh, it is certainly um, a day when, like I said, you were extremely busy. But it's not obviously just this one day thing for you. You've been you've been working on this uh, all year. Right, right, and uh, you know, so the international signing period. You know, it runs from January 15th through December 15th. But the work that goes into it, I mean, it's it's 100% a team effort from everybody at Pipeline and and people who, who cooperate, including sources, agents, teams, players, all that. It's a year-long process. You know, it's just uh, it's a lot of work, but it's really gratifying to tell these stories, to share the stories of, of players from, you know, international players, uh, primarily uh, Latin players from 
you know, the Caribbean and, and Latin America. And it's really cool. I mean, it's, it's an honor for me. It's a privilege. I really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, that Jesse Sanchez day, it's pretty funny. You know, I've kind of embraced it as well. It's kind of silly, whatever, but it is truly an honor. If, if I can use my silly Jesse Sanchez day to, you know, shed some light on something that's really important. It's the international signing period for, uh, you know, teenagers across the globe and parents and family and who are really putting a lot of work into this. You know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, I, and I'll wear that that title and, and I'll take all the ribbing because uh, I know it's for a good cause. Jesse, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your overall impressions of this signing period. I know that um, it's different in that now for the past couple of years, it's been in January. It started in January instead of July. Uh, and obviously that was sort of a, a result of the global pandemic going on. And how has that affected things? You know, one of the first things it's uh, immediate that comes up is uh, when these prospects signed, they were generally 16 years old or about to be 16. And because of the pandemic, you know, the schedule changed a little bit. They're all 17. And uh, while it doesn't seem like a lot, I think you talk to any person who works in player development, you talk to any person that works in baseball, uh, one year is a big deal. It's it's a year that you need to develop. It's a year that you need to uh, help people grow as people, help them grow as players. Uh, the fact that they're a little bit older uh, kind of pushes up the timeline a little bit. In years past, they'd sign on July 2nd. They'd go into this thing called the Tricky League. And the Tricky League was kind of this un- informal league in the Dominican Republic where all the 16-year-olds, all the recent signees would play against other academies. Because, you know, these guys, once you sign, you go into your team's academy. So they play in this Tricky League. And then and then that's kind of their first introduction to pro sports right there. Now you sign in January, every team is going to have some type of mini camp in January in the Dominican Republic. Uh, There might be a few in the United States, but for the most part, they're at their academies. So you do that, you jump right into these mini camps and uh, you try to prepare them for the possibility of playing in the Dominican summer league this summer. And before and years past, you know, they, they wouldn't jump right into the Dominican Summer League. They'd have more time at the academy. They'd have more time, you know, uh, developing Tricky League and all that kind of stuff before they go into the DSL. Now they're jumping right into the DSL. So that's one thing that immediately pops up, the age and kind of the timeline is just sped up a little bit. Hey, Jesse, I had two, two questions I wanted to follow up on related to the timeline. One, when you were just talking about how they have less time to get acclimated to pro ball than they did when they were signed in July, it seems like we had fewer players, you know, a lot of times the very best players will come straight to the complex leagues in the U S they'll bypass the Dominican summer league. And it seems like we really didn't have much of that with last year's class last summer. So that that was my first question. The second question is, do you have any feel yet that when we get a new CBA and at some point we put the pandemic behind us, will we go back to July two, or do you think we're going to have a January through December signing period going forward you know uh, regarding that first question as far as the timeline goes i think that could be a product of the pandemic and just everything being put back a little bit um you got to keep in mind academies were shut down the dsl had limited play the year before um it's just just a very unique time you know it's i think we're going to look back at these two international periods or, or maybe three going forward or 
who knows how long we're going to stay in this type of pandemic as a unique point in history. Because I think we're really used to the July 2nd signing period and then start that process of getting them into academies, get them in the Trachic League. But I think we're going to kind of reevaluate or reevaluate and kind of place this these recent periods in its own way, uh, its own type of unique circumstances because of the pandemic. And as far as going back to July 2nd, I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. I think that's it, or it is going to be part of the thing that's going to be talked about in the CBA. I think we've all known uh, that the international draft or some form of that, a single entry thing is something that's been discussed, whether that happens in 2023 or 2024. Um, I don't know. Um, maybe we go back to January. I mean, July 2nd, maybe we, uh, it's determined that January 15th, once all the kinks are kind of worked out that it's better for the development of the players. I think all those stuff are, are all those questions are still to be answered and we're still just kind of figure out as we go, but uh, there's just uh, so many things out there that still need to be determined that we just don't know. But those are those are really good questions. Well, obviously, the the stars of this day, other than Jesse Sanchez, as, as we've discussed, are the are the players themselves. You know, Jesse, you worked tirelessly to put together the top fifty. Uh, your your ability to talk to sources and and figure out who the favorite to sign with which teams uh, never ceases to amaze me. But why don't we dig into the the players a little bit, because that's what this is all about. These are guys who are going to go on to, you know, become superstars, uh, you know, in, in the future, obviously, uh, a ways away from now. But that's, you know, that's the hope. Uh, and, and looking, you know, at, at your list and where guys went, uh, you know, we, we talked about this last week, but very very quickly, uh, Roderick Arias is number one, shortstop from the Dominican. Uh, Christian Baccaro from Cuba, uh, outfielder is, is two. Uh, Ricardo Cabrera, shortstop from Venezuela, three. William Bergola, four, uh, also a shortstop from Venezuela. And then Oscar Colas, who we talked at length about uh, from Cuba, is number five. Um, you know, and and so people know Arias uh, is going to sign with the Yankees for four million. Vaquero about 4.9 million with the nationals. Uh, you've got, uh, Cabrera who I mentioned, uh, signing with the reds and we'll talk a little bit about the reds bit cause they were particularly busy. William Bergola, uh, signing with the Phillies and Oscar Colas will join, uh, the white Sox. Um, I guess Jesse, were there any were there any surprises? Uh, as always, this list is you know very position player heavy. Uh, have there been any surprises in terms of who was going where and for how much? Uh, you know, you you look at the Nationals and they used almost their the entirety of their bonus pool to to sign Vaquero. Right. I, I think if you look at that, their clubs approach this in, in several different ways. There were the teams like the Nationals who invested a lot in one player. Uh, teams like the the Yankees, same thing with Arias or four million. But then you look at teams like the Dodgers, who signed thirty players, and twenty of those were a hundred thousand or less. So this was a very deep class. So it allowed clubs to take several different approaches on it. Uh, on that first weekend, three hundred. I mean, on on first Saturday, three hundred prospects signed. That Sunday, another one hundred twenty five signed. And of that group, close to 35 to 40 signed for over a million dollars. So that just kind of gives you an indication of 
what's happening into market. You have teams that are spending a lot. They're here having teams that are are trying to sign as many players as they can. And it kind of just depends on their philosophy, on how deep their roster is, on what their minor league system looks like, what their relationships are like in the Dominican or Latin America. I mean, it was pretty fun to, to watch. The surprises were just how deep the class was. And then because of how it was delayed, I guess, you know, some of these were, this was going to happen on July 2nd. From the time you really just get more time to follow these as they developed. You know, the Oscar Colas guy, you know, I called him and others called him the Cuban Otani. Since then, he went from a pitcher outfielder to outfielder only. And his power has been pretty impressive. You hear people talking about his power. I mean, there's another guy that really emerged over the years, um, over the past you know, several months. He's a right-handed pitcher. We had him at number 31. His name is Jarlin Susana, a right-handed pitcher from the Dominican Republic. He signed with the Padres at 1.7. You know, he was listed at 31 because he's 6'6". You know, he's uh, 230 pounds. But over the past several months, his fastball has reached 97. He has a great slider. He's added a changeup. You know, he is a guy who the Padres have really, and not to say fallen in love with, but it's someone they have high hopes for. So he's a guy I won't be, I will not be surprised to see him in Arizona for like, you know, spring training, getting a, just getting a look. Yes, he's 17. Maybe he's about to be 18 or so, but he's a guy that stands out. Again, the Colas guy uh, who we've known, but he's, He's been even more than I expected and a lot of people expected just because he, now he can just focus on hitting. He has power. Um, as you mentioned, the list goes up and down full of shortstops and center fielders. That's traditionally where players are in you know, positions that are signed to an international market because they're extremely athletic. Um, they're either guys who can at shortstop can move to third base, depending on their size. You know, they can move to first base depending on their size, the center fielder, as they grow and develop, maybe they stay in center field. I think that's a goal for a lot of these international directors who sign them. But once they grow and develop, maybe they get too big or maybe they arm fits better in right field or one of the corner positions. So you sign them at shortstop, you sign them at center, but you also know there's a real reality that they could shift positions. And this was just a deep class. And it's be really fun to watch if these guys develop. You know, I think you bring up a couple of interesting points, Jesse. Uh, one, one of course is, and, and we've touched on, on that. The, you know, just trying to uh, evaluate and project out for these 16, 17-year-olds. I mean, and granted, they they start getting scouted younger than that. Uh, last week, we sort of talked about the fact that it, you know it's hard enough for high schoolers, um, you know, to from 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 the states in the draft. Uh, to project out what they're going to look like. This is, you know, basically sophomores in high school. Uh, so you don't know what you're you're going to get. So uh, it shouldn't surprise anyone if six years from now, the guy who's 31 or a guy not on the top 50 even ends up surpassing guys on, on this list because you just don't know how people are going to develop. But the one, one thing I wanted to ask you, you, you touched on it a little bit, you know, that they added time for evaluation. Uh, you know, everyone makes a big deal about the start of the signing period, you know, July 2nd, it used to be now, you know, January 15th. Uh, obviously, the signing period goes on for an extended period of time. And invariably, when we are, you know, years later doing our top 100 or top 
you know, 30 lists, you have guys who are signed in the middle or even the end of the signing period. How much do you think the, the extended evaluation time because of the delayed opening takes away from that? Or like are, are a higher percentage of available players signing like right out of the gate because of that extra time? Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's hard to gauge Jonathan on, on that question. What I do know is that it, it's definitely going to give evaluators more time to, to see these guys and, and watch how they develop. And if they're going to fit, if they're, if their folks are wondering or deciding and determining if they're making the right call. Um, as we mentioned, it's just such a unique time. I guess the overall theme is, and it just really struck me on International Signing Day, the first day is just how unique this entire period is. We're just living a, a moment in history where, you know, the evaluation time is different. Uh, the signing date is different. And just talking to the kids and parents and, and uh, coaches and evaluators on January 15th when they signed, it's just how special this time was because they were operating in a pandemic in many of these countries you know, they operating in countries that were the hardest hit. So their lives were changed. Uh, lives were, you know, they had family members, friends, they lost their lives, you know, major league teams, they lost scouts during this pandemic. Um, it was a very trying and difficult time. And there, were, there was definitely a lot of joy on the last weekend, when the first two weekends, when everybody's signing, but there also was a sense of a heavy heart because of who wasn't there. And I think, the overall sentiment I I'm just going to take away from these first two periods is just the uniqueness of it all. The uniqueness of the joy, the uniqueness of the loss, the uniqueness of the evaluation period and how that's going to, uh, you know, impact guys going forward. You know, what, what do we think about what's going to happen next? I mean, again, like I just mentioned, we're, we're just living a history right now and, it, and we're in the middle of it. So it's hard to really nail down and, evaluate what's going on while we're in the middle of it. Jesse, two things. Uh, I was uh, incidentally talking to a couple scouts about Susanna. They brought him up to me and I had guys who've seen him up to a hundred and 102. So he sounds, <laughs> I, I cannot wait to see him in the U S he sounds like a, like just a crazy, interesting pitching prospect. And, and, and like you noted too, crazy good slider as well. Um, my other question for you was going to be, you know, I, you know, Jonathan listed the first five guys on, on your top 50. And I don't know if it's official, official, but they've all put pen to paper um, and, and signed with teams. Is there anybody on your top 50 list, Jesse, who hasn't officially signed or is, is, isn't even linked to a team? I mean, who's, who's the best guy who's still technically a free agent, do you think, on your list? Well, pretty much everybody that has signed already, whether they've made it official and filed their paperwork or not, um, and and that's kind of the beauty of of this year's class. There were some questions answered um, a little bit earlier, and those were executed the first two days. Um, I, I will not, you know, I'll be shocked if something changes at this point. Uh, just because, uh, you know, I see the pictures, I see, you know, uh, the family photos of, of players with their teams and them actually, you know, signing pen to paper. So everybody we see on our list and our top 50 list, as expected, is going to go with who they are signing with. 
Hey, Jesse, I know, you know, as we talk about repeatedly with these lists, we're looking so far into the future here. And I know it's difficult to pinpoint, you know, which teams have done best. And we, we talk about this with the draft when we do stories after the draft on which teams had the best hauls that, you know, it's obviously a long time, long way down the road until we actually find out. But just based on what you know about uh, where you have the players ranked, which, which teams would you say uh, have done well just based on the, the rankings of the players that they have signed? Well, I would say um, it's been pretty consistent over the years. The The teams that have been very active and very aggressive are generally the same group, and, and that's a group led by the Nationals. It's a group led by the Yankees, uh, the Dodgers, Red Sox, Mets, both Chicago teams, the White Sox and the Cubs do a great job. Um, if you look all across the board, you look at rosters, at Major League rosters, you'll see it's pretty. It's it's it's, it's a good sign of of how they do on the international market. But what really has struck me this year, and then actually over the past few years, of the teams that have emerged, and that's the uh, Reds have really emerged as a team to watch on the international market. The Pirates are another team. Yes, that they do have some history of the international market. But over the past few years, they've really made a strong push, particularly in Asia. Uh, they're a good team. The Orioles—they were once a, the Orioles were a team where we would potentially just see maybe one scout at an international event if we were lucky. That's just what everyone noticed. It's what everybody—it was like the common knowledge. The Orioles were not active on the international market. That has completely changed. They are everywhere. Uh, the Orioles. Their contingent at these events, if you look at their signings, you look at people they're placing in their system, that's a team to watch for the future, uh, at least on the international market. Whether that plays out in you know big league players or trade chips is to be determined. But those are the teams that like immediately come to mind, um, that they're making strides in the past few years, and they continue to do that this year. All right, Jesse, thank you so much uh, for all of this insight. Excellent work on this as usual. We are going to keep you around to answer some questions uh, in a bit. But first, we're going to take a break and come back and talk to Philly's Director of International Scouting, Sal Agostinelli. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast, another international edition with the new signing period just underway. And I'm happy to bring in the man who heads up the international scouting department for the Philadelphia Phillies, Sal Agostinelli. Sal, it's good to talk with you again. Always good talking to you, John. Great talking to you. We're gonna we're Love gonna it. dig into uh, to a bunch of things, um, but let's. I, I want to start kind of with with your bio, your career, just a, a little little bit. Uh, cause you're, you're a guy who's been with one organization, 
for forever. Uh, you know, you played the game after after coming out of slippery rock, or as we say in in my parts, slippy rock. Um, uh, slippery rock. You're in the Hall of Fame there. I mean, just it's not often that someone stays with one organization for as long as you've been through like tons of regime changes. Like, what are you doing right that people want to keep you around? I don't know. I just thank God they allowed me to stay here. I'm like George Costanza. Every time they fire me, I just show up for work and they say, Oh, you're still here. I will let you stay around. So I'm really, (laughs) no, no, I'm really, you know, I'm really lucky. You know, I'm, you know, I, I really am blessed. I, you know, I've been around so many good people and I'll be honest with you, John, it's really tough to see guys come and go how this business is. And, you know, I've, I've fortunately, I've had some opportunities and I've been really flattered by the offers and, you know, Dave Montgomery, when he was the owner and, you know, having him call me up and, you know, just the GMs that I've had, the ones that are not here anymore. And, the, you know, Dave Dombrowski's of the world who are just tremendous baseball people. I mean, I don't know, you know, I just hope they keep liking what I do. <laughs> That's all I do. I keep, keep my fingers crossed. Well, I think your, your resume speaks for itself and you've done, you know, you, you worked on the domestic side, uh, you know, yeah. and, and then took over the international side where you've been for quite some time, uh, this is now becoming a, a, a favorite question of mine because I, I, it doesn't happen that often, I think. And so it's an interesting path. But what are the differences that you've seen uh, over the years, uh, you know, in terms of difference from your experience doing the domestic thing and then the international? And obviously, when rules changes and, and things like that have made it a, a different animal in terms of scouting internationally. Yeah, when I started, I mean, I've been the director since 97. So it's been a long period of time and you know the academies I mean when we first got there the academies weren't you know they weren't great they were they were not you know they weren't they were decent but the academies that we have right now are really you know really unbelievable the facilities that the Phillies have I mean it's just extraordinary and um, you know we gave the kids an opportunity to have you know just wait you know just all the things that necessity we have three fields we have we share it with the Minnesota Twins it's really unbelievable but you know when when we first you know, it's funny back then when we first started signing guys, it, I was very fortunate because we got a chance to, you know, have a, a small budget and, you know, the talent level was always what it is. It's always good. And we were, you know, we didn't give guys a lot of money, you know, where the dollars have really, really changed. I mean, you know, we give out millions and millions of dollars and, and, you know, it, it's, um, it's good for the kids, you know, and, and, um, but it's, it's really, really been a, you know, we went, you know, we were in La Vega when we first started, and then we moved over to uh, oh, uh, Villa Maya, and then we went over to the where the Washington Nationals are now. They, they, you know, it, it, you know, now, now we're in Boca Chica, where it's just an extraordinary, you know, Mr. Middleton just went all out. He says we're gonna we're gonna have this academy, and it's just so beautiful. And uh, you know, things have really, really evolved over the years, and um, you know, scouting's become a different, you know, the way you know, looking at early, you know, looking at kids that are you know, 14, 15 years old and, you know, just, you know, trying to scout guys that getting prepared for signing at 16 years old. It's, uh, it's like having the draft, but doing the draft for having four, three years of the draft. If I can say that that way. Right. Like drafting a guy out of sophomore year of high school, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. You know, it really, 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 it's hard. And it's a testament to our guys that, you know, to be able to, I think it's a special, you know, I think it's a special type of scouting. Like uh, that's what I would say, you know, because from a standpoint of scouting guys and really projecting, so there's a lot of mistakes. And but you know, hopefully we make as you know as little as possible. You know, 
you know, you, you talk about the, the change in dollars. And this is a life-changing thing for any player who, who signs, whether it's the draft or internationally, but you know, particularly for these young kids, you know, many of whom, uh, you know, come from moderate means as best. You know, it, it sounds to me, and we've talked about this before, but just that, you know, how seriously do you take that? Obviously, you're trying to find the next stars for the Philadelphia Phillies, but you're also changing the lives of, of these families in, in the process. How much do you think about that when, when you're going about this day to day? Well, I do a lot because I'm, you know, my, I'm a first generation. My parents were both born in Italy and, um, you know, I grew up in the Bronx and, you know, we come from humble backgrounds. My, you know, my parents both, you know, my mom worked in, was a seamstress in a factory and my father came over with construction work and then he, he, he became a mailman. And, you know, um, it was, it was just, you know, I, I kind of, it really gives me goosebumps when I think about it. These kids are such good kids. You know what I mean? I mean, they're just, a lot of them are really just humble guys that want to just, you know, they want to get to the States and they want to be big leaders and they see all the big leaders. And it's just a really great thing when you see a family. I remember our hitting coach, I signed our hitting coach. I signed good hitting coaches. I don't try to, <laughs> no. but, uh, but uh, this kid hit Seattle. I remember, when I signed him, we gave him like 30 grand and his uncle was kissing the ground, you know, like praying to the Lord, like he's a very religious guy. And I was like, brought tears to my eyes, just looking at it. And, you know, the effect that we have on, on the, this game and the Philadelphia Phillies, you know, giving me the ability to change people's lives has been, you know, I never take that for granted because it's every year I see these kids coming out and I look at them and I'm like, wow, man, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. But it really, it truly is a unique job that we're, you know, God bless to have, you know. I want to dig into this, this class a little bit, but starting with uh, something that Jesse said, uh, Jesse Sanchez said when we talked to him uh, in the beginning of this podcast, just that, uh, you know, the last couple of years because of the pandemic, the signing period start has been delayed. How much has that change things you get a longer look at guys that are a tiny bit older uh it doesn't sound like a lot of time but when you're talking about a 16 year old versus a 17 year old you can see a lot of changes has that extra time been been valuable from a, an evaluation standpoint yeah i mean it really changed the you know the lay of the land but still because it's such a competitive business you know it's a 30 team race to the finish and you know that it, 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 you know, it brings a, an interesting dynamic to what we do. Yeah. I mean, it, it's given us a little longer period of time to see the players, but you know, when you see a player, it, it you know, when you see that and you know, the stars go up and you say, God, this guy looks unbelievable. And now you got to jump on the guy or you have to make the quick decision. And listen, we're all, we all question ourselves all the time, but you, you can tell the most arrogant people in the world, they'll be like, Oh yeah, I don't really think about it, but I know I do. And I think about, it, I just want to do the best job I can. We try, we try to do our due diligence, you know, meet the families, get to know the people, you know, do what we do on the laws that we, you know, abide by, you know, to do everything possible to look, you know, look at the kids. But at the end of the day, you know, having a little extra period of time has really helped a lot. I really do. And I think it helped us make less mistakes that way. You know, well, one guy that uh, you clearly felt strongly about was William Bergola. Uh, he was number four on on Jesse's list of the MLB Pipeline top fifty international list. Uh, 
reports are right, right around $2 million is what, uh, what the Phillies will be giving him to, to get started. Uh, what, what was it about him that caught your eye, caught the Phillies eye that made you want to, to sort of jump all in? Well, you know, this kid's an extraordinary kid in the sense of obviously the, you know, the, his, his uh, father played in the big leagues. Um, his father's a quality, quality guy. The family's been, you know, they're to get, they, they just have a tremendous, I got to know, I know him. I, I see him scouting. I know the type of person he is. Um, the kid's got off the charts makeup, you know, I'm not, I'm mean, obviously you have to have tools, you know, but um, this kid, this kid can hit, man. He can really, really hit. I mean, I mean, he doesn't swing and miss, you know, I do a lot of charting and, and I look at guys like, I, I mean, it's amazing, you know, a guy that can hit overgrown men at, you know, 16 years old, hitting line drives all over the place. And he runs six, five, six, six. He's got a 50, 55 arm. He moves around well at shortstop. You know, it's uh, real, you know, special. I mean, he has a lot of tools to go along with the tremendous makeup. And uh, we were fortunate enough. Our guys got to see him. You know, we do a lot in Venezuela. You know, we we have uh, with Chalau Mendez and Carlos Salas and Rafael Alvarez, who are big presence down there. Um, we're really, really lucky to have those those guys down there. And, you know, we knew, you know, we, kn- we knew the, the, you know, the family really, really well and and it felt like a no-brainer after we saw him play after we saw him see enough of bats it was it was evident that we needed to get something done here well um congratulations on that i know he's not the only player you signed uh you know going over the top 50 with jesse there were so many uh so much up the metal talent a lot of shortstops a lot of center fielders now whether they end up there uh, remains to be seen, but Bergola, I think, was one of seven shortstops that you know reported that you're going to come. You've come to terms with any of these other got, guys that you know you're really excited about. You want to to highlight uh, from this international class who will hopefully yeah, start their Phillies yeah, career this summer. We signed Acuna. Absolutely, we signed you know Escobar, which I think he'll probably start at short and wind up at third or second. He's a tremendous hitter. Um, he's one Acuna. Um, Acuna's, Ronald Acuna's cousin, um, another shortstop named Corella, tremendous defensive player, you know, kind of weak, just needs to get stronger, has tremendous contact skills in the games. Um, I'm trying to think of all the shortstops. I and mean, I got, you know, we got a lot of them. We got uh, uh, Andres Hernandez, Villa Vicencio from Venezuela is a tremendous shortstop, needs to fill into, fill into his body a little bit and get stronger. So, you know, like, I feel like, you know, if you can play shortstop and you're athletic and you swing the bat a little bit, we can play you anywhere. You know what I mean? So, you know, they may, who knows if they end up there or not. I know Goya, I know that he has a you know, solid chance of staying there all the time and being the hitter we think he's going to be. And, uh, but we did have a lot of shortstops this year and center fielders, you know what yep. I mean? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good problem to have, right? You always want to build up the middle so that you're kind of coming Absolutely. from the strength of the class anyway. Uh, before I let you go, Sal, um, I'm going to ask you to retell a story. I, I, I think it's probably one of the best stories I've ever heard you tell. So I, I don't get tired of hearing it, but uh, you know, you've signed or helped sign a, a huge number of, of players o- o- over the years with the Phillies. But the story I want you to tell is how you found Carlos Ruiz, who's now retired, <laughs> but you know, former former big league catcher, had a tremendous big league career. You know, obviously that's what you hope for uh, when you sign these guys, but uh, this is particularly 
uh, a fun story, you know, before all the academies, before all the showcases. So I'm just going to kind of give you the stage and let you tell the Carlos Ruiz, Sal Agostinelli story. Well, I hope people don't get tired of hearing me saying that, but I, it is an exciting thing because the thing we work so hard for is to find major leaguers, you know, and, you know, with Carlos, um, I want to give credit to Alan Lewis, who was one of the Panamanian Express with the Oakland A's. I don't know if you remember back in the day, he was a pinch runner on the World Series team. He was, you know, Omar Moreno was one of the, you know, all those guys. And he was my scout in Venezuela. And he, I mean, in uh, Panama, and he called me and he said to me, um, listen, I got a kid here. I know he's small. I don't know if you're going to like him. And this and I said, well, whatever, I'll come and see him. So I, you know, I flew down to, back then in the old days, you couldn't, you had to go to Panama City and then you had to go to the, to the local airport, which is about an hour away from the, the Tucumán, which is the main airport. Then I took a propeller plane all the way over to Cherokee. because it's like a six or seven hour drive. So just jump on a plane. I'm like, I don't know. And that, it was kind of touch and go with that propeller plane out there. So I land there and I go, I go there and uh, we were on this field. And I remember it was like a hundred degrees out there. And so I got out there with me, Alan, and some other guy, I threw BP to him. And so he was a second baseman and we hit him some ground balls at second. And after I was, I was going, and he was like a seven, one runner, you know, and I threw him and he hit line drives all over the place, just like he said. And he said, well, I think he can catch. He said, so he got behind the plate. And he had a hose. I mean, just a flat out hose. I'm like, holy moly. I was like, geez. I said, Alan, he's kind of small. He's only about five, eight. I don't know. You know, so he goes, oh, no. then he said to me, he said something to me that resonated to me. It was like, he said, Sal, you know, I've coached the Cherokee Panamanian team for whatever, 20 years. And he goes, he's the best hitter I've ever had. Best hitter. I said, he said, Sal, he's one of the best. Carlos Lee. He said, all these guys, he said, he's one of the best hitters I've ever had. I said, you might not have Carlos Lee's power, but this guy's one of the best. He goes, I play with Omar Moreno. I play with all these guys. And I said, I'm telling you, we're going to sign him. If you tell me he's the best hitter you've ever seen, we have to sign this guy, you know? So I want to give credit to Alan Lewis to saying the right things. And we gave him a, a whopping eight grand, you know what I mean? Back then, and the, and the kid was, he was crying. You know, he was crying. He was, he was, he was so thankful that we gave him an opportunity and I never forget that day. And, you know, I, it was funny to tell you another, you know, part of the story was, you know, the world championships were in, were in Cherokee like five years ago. And I went to see him and, you know, Carlos is one that never changed. Same guy made 50, you know, 40 or $50 million in the big leagues. And he goes, I want you to come see my house. I just built, I, I, I want you to come. And I went to, he went, I went to it's a beautiful home. He had, he made a big dinner for me. He, he cooked for me and everything. And he, he, and I was like, man, he goes, no, he goes, without you, I wouldn't be where I, I said, but Carlos, I only gave you eight grand for crying out loud. You know what? He goes, I don't know. Without you, I wouldn't be where I am today and all that. And was, so I took some really good, cool pictures. Then he took me out to his ranch. He has a ranch. He loves, he's like a, he's like a Panamanian cowboy. You know, he had his hat on, he had a bunch of horses anyway. So it was really, really cool. And I'm really blessed to have done that. And, you know, there's many other guys that have an opportunity. But the one thing we could say about scouting is we have to give credit to the guys that actually show us the players. I mean, it's easy. I get the credit and I get the faults. But, you know, I mean, guys show us the players. 
without those guys on the ground, we don't see those players. So uh, it's a great story, and I appreciate it, John. Well, I'm glad that you gave Alan credit too. I know as a, as a scouting director, you know, whether it's domestically or internationally, you, you do have to rely on those area scouts or those guys. So uh, yeah. kudos to him and, and, and kudos to you. And this is your, what it's all about, right? Is opening the door for these players. They, they have to do the rest, right? Carlos Ruiz gets That's credit for working his butt off to become who he was, but you opened the door for him. Yeah. And, and you know what? The thing was, was Alan Lewis was right. He could hit. And you know what? At the end of the day, Alan Lewis, push me to get him. I mean, I could have easily, there's been many guys that we've walked away from, you know what I mean, John? And they get to the big leagues and you're like, Jesus, I had this guy, you know, it's unbelievable. We'll do, you know, a, we'll do was... a whole nother podcast on guys you missed, but today we'll focus oh. on the guys you got, including from this class, uh, Sal Agostinelli, uh, the head of the international scouting department for the Philadelphia Phillies uh, for a long time and hopefully for a long time to come. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We'll talk again soon. We'll be right back on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jesse Sanchez will be back to answer some of your questions. So stay right here. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Thank you very much to Philly's Director of International Scouting, Sal Agostinelli, and good stuff from him and Jonathan there. And now we bring back Jesse Sanchez to answer some questions in the mailbag. And we have quite a few, had quite a few people wanted to know about this international free agent class. And we start with our old friend, Stevie D. Stevie D Ailes 97 uh, on Twitter asks, how would you compare this year's international free agent class to last year's class? You know, this class was really deep. I think that happens sometimes. And I think it happens with draft class. And it happens, you know, on, on all fronts, free agent classes that some years are better than others. And this was a really strong year. This was a really deep year. There's tons of shortstop. There's tons of center fielders. Um, I'm not sure how to explain or, or why it happens. But across the board, I talked to several different international directors and they're really pleased with their crop. And they're, you know, impressed with what other teams have done as well. I guess it was a good year to expand our list from the top 30 to top 50. Uh, we have another question. This one comes from Chuck D. Is this public enemy MC Chuck D? <laughs> He's a big baseball fan. Chuck D3374438 on Twitter says, how do international shortstops Arias and Cabrera compare to the loaded 2021 first round draft class of shortstops? And Jim, Jonathan, I think we'll let you take this one. I think, yeah. Jason, you just gave out Chuck D's phone number, by the way. I'm not sure what that Twitter handle is. Give him a call. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting, uh, you know, because, you know, comparing these guys to to draftees, you know, and, and 2021 was also loaded with young high school level shortstops. And, and Jim, you know, just to sort of in a general sense, it does seem like they're fairly comparable with just the sort of overall tools and athleticism of these guys who have the, you know, the, the chance to stay up the middle, if not at shortstop. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, looking at Arias and Cabrera, who, who Jesse's scouting reports, I think you gave them the same tool grades, Jesse, on both guys across the board. They're very similar. Comparing them to the, the first-round shortstops who were Marcelo Meyer, um, Jordan Lawler, Brady House, and Khalil Watson, they seem more reminiscent to me, I guess, of Watson, uh, of those four guys. Like, And I would put them behind them, but I think you would normally put the top international guys behind the top draft guys. And that was the strength of the draft last year, just because they're younger. You know, the, even though they're high school players that we're talking about from the draft, they're a couple years older. They've, they've faced tougher competition and been scouted more heavily in game situations against top competition. So I think they'd get the edge, but, but Arias Cabrera, at least reading Jesse's scouting reports kind of remind me of Khalil Watson, Jonathan. You know, I like that. Um, uh, the the athleticism and the, uh, I like the reports. Uh, I, I agree with you, Jesse. You know, one of the things that you know we are often asked and talk about is like, well, how many of these guys are going to actually be shortstops? And and one of the things you know, going back to what we talked at this at you know in in the first part of the show is you really don't know how the high school guys are going to develop. You certainly don't know how these young international players are going to develop or grow or physically mature. Uh, but of, you know, of this set, uh, uh, why don't we just stick with the question in Arias and Cabrera, you know, do you think both of them will end up playing shortstop and we are going to hold you to this and play this back, you know, seven years from now. You know what? I think since you're going to hold me to it, I'm going to say yes, because uh, I'll probably run into Cabrera (laughs) and Arias at the futures game one day, and they're going to give me a hard time by saying they're going to be third baseman. So I'm going to stick with shortstop. And Mayo, if I'm wrong in seven years, um, I owe you one. I'll I'll be on a beach somewhere in retirement in seven years. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk about another infielder. Um, B. Hearn Sports asks: If he were available sooner, would you rank Cesar Prieto as a top fifty international prospect? If so, in what range would you put him? So a little. Quick bit of background, Cesar Prieto, a 22-year-old Cuban infielder who was not on the top 50 list. Uh, our friend Francis Romero uh, from Las Mayores did a story on 12 Cuban free agents to keep an eye on. These are 12 uh, Cuban prospects who are not on the top 50 uh, but warranted uh, attention, and Cesar Prieto at the top of that list, Jesse. Right. You know, that's a great question. Um, it's hard to say – if he would or would not, I would probably lean towards possibly yes. But especially with Cuban players in general, it's about getting as much information as you can. It's about talking to as many international directors and as many international scouts as possible. Yes, Barreto has a, a track record on the international market, but there were some mixed reviews out there. You know, there, there are people that do say, you know, he, he's a pretty decent defender and he can play multiple infield positions as probably a utility guy. But then there's others who say, you know, they're just not sure. They're not sure if the bat's going to come along. I think, uh, I mean, it's hard to predict where, where we would have placed him considering he came on so late, but I think it would, it would have been unfair to put him on there without getting a lot more homework and evaluations and just uh, information on him because there are just so many mixed reviews and you factor his age, which, and sometimes you can say 22 or 23 is a good thing, or you can, and there's another group of international directors that say, 
you know, that's probably not best. He's already, he's already 22, 23, you know? So uh, it's, it's, it's really tricky. So um, I really appreciate the question. Um, I guess if I had to be put on the spot, I would possibly say yes, but it's impossible to say where he would fit because uh, there was just a lot more homework to be determined. And I think fans in general are really going to watch and along with everyone else to see how he, he turns out to see if, if he's the player people expect or for his critics, if he's going to, you know, follow along the lines of what they think he's going to be like. I, I like the fact that uh, he was writing a record setting 44 game hit streak in Cuba's Serie Nacional when he left the team uh, while playing in West Palm beach. So it's like, here's this, you know, lifetime decision that he's got to make. And of course he's, he's in the midst of a 44 game hit streak when it happens. All right, Jesse, one last question for you. Jake Larson says, since Venezuela is a hard country to get much scouting in, which Caribbean slash Latin country or countries have supplanted them as a hotbed for talent? You know, I, I wouldn't say uh, first, thank you for the, the question, Jake. Hey, good to see you. I do get your tweets and your emails and I appreciate uh, all your insight and your questions. So what's up, Jake? But uh, it's hard to say. I wouldn't say any other country has supplanted Venezuela as a hotbed, because when you think about Internet, the most players who have who will sign through international signing period this year are from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. The, the I mean, you can go back for decades and that's one and two. So I wouldn't say anybody has really supplanted them. Yes, it's more difficult to scout there. But what, the, what has happened is Venezuelan trainers, prospects, they've started to work out in the Dominican Republic. They're getting viewed. They're getting scouted in Aruba, um, in Colombia, and different parts outside of Venezuela. The talent is there. Baseball is still extremely popular in Venezuela, and it's always going to be that way. So uh, other countries to watch, Panama, Nicaragua, uh, the Bahamas. Um, there's other countries that are emerging, but I don't think, I can't foresee anybody really surpassing the Dominican Republic and Venezuela as the top two you know, talent producers on the international side. All right, Jesse, once again, thank you so much for all your hard work on this and certainly for joining us here on the Pipeline Podcast today. That is going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 